WWE are proud distributors of Sony televisions and home cinema projectors, bringing you the best content from lens to living room. For more information, visit awe-europe.com. Hello and welcome to The Integrated Home, the monthly podcast produced by the Home Integration Community for the Home Integration Community. My name is Jeff Hayward, and today we're podcasting in front of a live audience from the Sony Screening Room in Basingstoke. And what better place to talk home cinema with my panel of experts than here at Sony Professional HQ. This is a 24-seater cinema used for testing professional cinema projectors and demonstrations. Get to see it if you can. Our thanks to pod partners Sony and AWE for hosting us today on this very special episode. Welcome to the Integrated Home. Home cinema. What's important? Where's it going? And how can we do it better? To find out the answers to these and other questions, we have industry experts with us who I will now invite to introduce themselves. At the same time, I'd also like you to share why you fell in love with cinema. Ian Bolt, Custom Sight and Sound. We are a custom integrator that started in 1993. Cinemas has played a, or have played a role throughout that whole history of varying sizes and types. And why do I fall in love with cinema? Um, I think it's more falling in love with film, actually, and just wanting then to, to replay that in the home to the best possible standard. So what was the first ever movie you went to a cinema to see? Oh, don't. <laughs> Black and white there, thanks. Um, that was probably The Jungle Book. That's good. The first version. That's good. Beat that then, Guy. Uh, my name's Guy Singleton. I run an integration company and have done for about 20 years. Um, I've also been I've recently involved in kind of developing software to help the cinema design community, as it were, which I now work for and on behalf of the Cedia team. So theatres for me have played a big part in my life over the last 20 years, um, and that's largely probably as a result of uh, going to see my first film in 1977 where I was taken to see Star Wars, uh, and that's probably where my love of movies has come from really. So, uh, you know, similarly to Ian, it's not actually, it never started out as the technical aspect of things. It always started out as the emotional side of things, and that's uh, and now I just find myself in the technical part. Okay, and, and hi, I'm Chris Mullins. I'm the uh, European product manager for Sony for both the home cinema and the digital cinema projection systems. Um, and I've had really kind of, I would say, more of a professional entry into, um, into this industry. I kind of um, joined Sony 10 years ago and kind of found myself very quickly uh, back in 2010 um, during the big transition from uh, film into digital as part of an engineer at Sony. So I've really, over the last 10 years, really fallen in love with the, the image quality, the immersive experience that you get from, from all these devices that you get um, in cinema and the experience you get over that last 10-year period. And what was the first movie you went to see in the cinema? <sighs> yeah, so that's a, that's a tough one. Um, probably the one that I remember most I would say is probably something like Jurassic Park which probably ages me slightly which was <laughs> I wouldn't say that was my first one but I'd say that's one that had a big impression on me I would say yeah in the spirit of full disclosure bed knobs and broomsticks <laughs> oh dear mm. 
makes you feel better, doesn't it? Not really. <laughs> right. Thanks very much. So, home cinema. Uh, again, Ian, let me begin with you. How important uh, home cinemas to your business? Uh, I wish they were more important. We actually started in 93, and, and the first job we got was a very substantial cinema. Uh, but from there, we've become more of an integrator. So we do see cinemas in most of our uh, contracts, but they tend to be smaller. So for us, typically, we'll do a whole house and all of its integration. Uh, we'll run the BMS systems and so on. Um, but they have an overall budget, and if the cinema room is in there, it's a slice of that bu budget rather than uh, being a budget on its own. So it's very important to us because it forms a part of most of the contracts that we do. But we've found ourselves constantly, I think, sort of struggling to find the big one-offs that we know exist because people make the equipment for. So, yeah, we, we, we do sell Trinovs and so on. But um, for us, uh, the, the cinemas are a little bit more restricted in the, in the scope that we can normally give them, and the budget. And has that changed over the years? Were you doing more cinemas, say, five years ago than you are now, would you say? No, I think it's very consistent. We're seeing less swimming pools, more cinemas in the, in the work that we do, so that's very, very positive, because we can't spend too much for them in a, in a pool. Um, so I think that, you know, from the client's perspective, they are more interested in, in having that facility, and most of the drawing sets that we get across for the projects we see will have a cinema in there, or a media room, quite often, but there's still there's a, there's a high content in the cinemas. To say our problem is just getting that, uh, getting the budget released to do it in the way that we'd like is, is quite difficult. And Guy, with your Imagine This hat on, you've done some amazing, amazing cinemas. Some are probably the biggest and best that the industry's ever seen, I'd say. How is the trend in your business going? Are you seeing more cinemas now or, or fewer? Uh, I think, you know, that, that is probably the, a few, a few one-offs. I've been very lucky in my career to have had the kind of utopian golden chalice, as it were. But um, I think, you know, the pattern that I'm seeing is perhaps more multifunctional gaming spaces, you know, those rooms where people perhaps don't really just want to turn all the lights out and sit in tiered seating, but perhaps want something which is, you know, slightly more um, transferable between gaming and Netflix. And, 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 yeah, movies are still a big part of that, but I think it is pretty linear, but I just think that... The, the type of room that we're designing has changed somewhat with a much more uh, lean towards that aesthetic look, you know, the, how it feels, how it's integrated. I think that's become more important than ever before. Whereas what we would all hear probably traditionally describe as that American theatre, you know, with two rows of, of cinema seating and a front projection system. And, and I'm not saying that isn't uh, as big, but we are certainly not getting as many of those as we'd like to because that really does give us the, the opportunity to sort of spread out engineering wings and, and do what we're good at, but, but uh, there are, you know, not, not as many as we'd like, I think. And Chris, how big is the opportunity in those media room type environments for projection-based systems? Um, yeah, I think, I think there's, a, there's a big opportunity there for, for projection. I think um, more and more, I think we're seeing uh, in the display industry, image size is getting bigger and bigger these days. TVs are bigger than they've ever been, like 8,500 inch screens. With um, with, with home theatre and home cinema projectors, you get even, even bigger scope for an even more immersive image there as well. Um, but there are a few more, more challenges when you move to a multi-purpose space. You want a bit more 
uh, ambient light around, you want to be able to actually move around the place, not trip over anything. And that has some challenges as well for, for, for projection in terms of brightness. I mean, the projectors these days, I think we have a, a good range of, of brightnesses available, but that just needs to be taken in, into account when, when designing your space. What is it that customers like about projectors in those kind of media room environments? I think it's the scale. Obviously, you can only go so large on a flat panel. We can go considerably larger with a projection system. For me, the, the, the picture that a projector produces is much more tactile, much more cinematic in that sense. And, and the aspect ratio, of course. We can do 2.4 to 1 um, with Blu-ray content and with Kaleidoscape content with a projector, and we can't do that with a panel. So that large panel gets smaller because we're cropping top and bottom. So scale, I think, is if I had to choose one thing, I'd probably say scale. And do you see that as well, Guy? Do you, do you think con consumers in those media room applications are looking beyond TVs? They are open to that? I think some of them have a preconceived ideas that front projection systems may be a bit washed out, lack that kind of vibrancy and punch that they would associate with flat panel displays that they see in consumer stores. But when you select the right projector and you do select the right screen and it does allow you to have a larger 235 image or a 240 image, you know, that fits the content that they want to watch, you know, I think absolutely there's a place for it. It's really trying to captivate the client's um, kind of nostalgic interest in it. You know, these are all real decisions of the heart perhaps and not so much of the head. So I think it's, you know, if you've got a client that, that really does see the the romantic aspect of having a movie theatre with that front projection system, I think it's, it's, it's a bit easier than... Um, what about the impact of pricing and affordability and budget? Does that play a part in the equipment they're selecting? It does. It allows us to do more than we used to do for, this, for the same spend, of course. We're getting remarkable quality from products that cost a fraction of what they used to cost uh, not too long ago. Projectors would be the biggest... Uh, item in that, I certainly remember putting in CRT projectors at 60,000 um, and now you, we can go to a small DLP for about three and six that, that's probably going to outstrip it in many ways. Three and Sorry, six? Sorry, it's old language. Um, <laughs> yeah, the value of projectors is extraordinary. A and we're getting so much more technology in terms of uh, delivery of audio and immersive formats uh, and again they're coming at remarkably uh, high value market points. So people are getting a huge amount more for their money, I think, is, is the truth. And that's got to be part of your thinking, Chris, when you're developing product. Um, yeah, I mean, when, when we're developing products, we take a lot, of, uh, a lot of things into account. And one of those is, is the, the content trends. And I mean, and more and more now, we're seeing more and more 4K content. We've now got HDR content that's come out in the last uh, few years, much more relevant uh, these days. Um, and it makes more and more sense to have a, a, a 4K projector in, in your living room. And this is, or in your, in your cinema room. Um, and this is um, something that Sony's really known for, is our core heritage in 4K. It's something we've been very strong behind for, for many years. And um, in, back in 2017, we actually launched our first entry-level 4K projector at, um, at 5K uh, pounds or euros. So it's, there is, it is achievable, even for, for lower budget, um, budget spends, to have even 4K HDR projection in your room, all the way up to the top tier where you're spending yeah, 60K or more on, on the projection system alone. So um, it is accessible, uh, and you can get a great, great 4K HDR image out of it. And when a client says to you, I've got this space, I want to put a, a cinema in here, what, what are the things that you first think about? How do you approach that sort of conversation, Ian? Uh, always room first. We can throw 
create equipment and space that's badly designed and waste our money. So we would always look at the room first. Uh, we, we're quite happy. We, we would always offer to and would prefer to actually help that space be designed so we can head off uh, a whole manner of issues that the interior designer wants to come and ruin the room with. Um, and we also can deal with the acoustics more effectively so we can look at the structure of the room and the space, how it's laid out, the materials that are used, its dimensions and so on. Um, so we would always look at the room, sp the room first. That normally means two months of arguing with an interior designer because they want white walls with red dots and a yellow ceiling. Uh, and sometimes we win the argument, which is quite, quite good. Yeah, but always room first. We, there's no point in wasting money on, on equipment if you're just blowing it by a room that doesn't function correctly. You must agree with that, Guy. Uh, yeah, always room first. You know, having, like Ian just said, you know, big white walls, lots of ambient light, lots of reflective surfaces, which is obviously bad for the acoustics and, and just the general feel of that room. So, yeah, we would definitely put a large proportion of our budget into that, into that area to start with. And do you think the opportunity then is changing for installers? It's better than it ever has been because of the equipment and because of the, the thinking that goes on in terms of cinema design now? I think there's probably more awareness, certainly in the, in the, the areas in which we work. There's more awareness that a room needs great consideration before you sort of start barreling into spending lots of money on equipment. Um, yeah, I mean, the as I say, most of our jobs have a cinema in them, so in, in a way that, that sort of answers your question, and the awareness is there. I don't know. I mean, I think cinema, in terms of commercial sense, is doing reasonably well out there, um, and certainly, again, in commercial sense, you're seeing much more awareness of 4K of... Atmos and, and the other things that come along with that. So that I think the general public's very aware. We don't necessarily have to educate people too much. We're not, when we explain to people we're going to use a 4K, we're going to use Atmos, we're going to use immersive sound. The awareness of what we're talking about is, is generally speaking, quite good. You do a lot of training for CD Guy. What, what, what are the key things that come up again and again that installers need to up their game on? You know, I guess it's sort of the application of engineering principles where you're basing your design on a standards document which has been peer-reviewed. So there are standards, and I'm, I'm constantly amazed how many people haven't heard of CB22 or CB23. They're a collaboration between CEDIA and the Consumer Electronics Association, as it was now the CTA. Uh, and, it, and it really talks about, you know, the positions of loudspeakers, how you calculate luminance, how, you know amplification or the log equation between loudspeaker efficiency and so so looking at that we're talking uh, about a performance objective or a grade so if I ask you to design me a cinema which was a grade one cinema you would perhaps need less budget it would be you know maybe a five to ten thousand euro cinema but if I ask you to design me a, a theatre or media room at a grade four where the, the requirements the performance objectives were, were set higher then inevitably you're going to need to bring more budget and but that does give you, A, a predictable outcome, B, something which is a tangible, measurable number that you can say to the client, look, we told you it was going to do X, and, uh, and it's delivered exactly what we told, uh, told you it would. So, so ultimately, I think CDA training, you know, hi historically, it was you took a photo of a, a theatre that looked beautiful, and, and it did you know, rather well in everybody's eyes. But people are looking at those things a little bit more stringently about the back-end engineering, did they do the calculation for the numbers? Is the screen the right screen? Is the projection system the right project? Or did you value engineer the wrong products out to give a fairly underwhelming uh, result? What do you think about that, Ian, performance and, and the impact it's having on cinema design? Again, it's quite tricky because of the type of work that 
we're presented with. I don't think we often have the opportunity to do it the way we want to do it. From our point of view, and we have some incredibly talented designers and engineers, not that I claim to be one of them, um, so they know what they're trying to, to get to, but from a practical standpoint, we've got to try and see how much of that we're allowed to achieve by the restrictions that are placed upon us. So that opportunity to say, you've got to run do what you like and you're going to achieve all the things that Guy said um, doesn't often come our way. I don't know how that fits with other insulation companies and some of them are, are here and might be able to answer that for themselves. But it's really a question of uh, being good enough to know that you can do it absolutely correctly and then try and achieve as much of that as the circumstances allow. I guess compromise is, is the installer's curse, isn't it? Just managing those compromises. I don't think Ian's in any different position to everybody else. It's just intelligently managing those compromises, knowing that there is always going to be a trade-off with performance, either via budget or the environment or the electronics that you're trying to place into that environment. And bringing Sony into this conversation, how do you um, bring out product or, or match what your product delivers against what the installers are telling you? Um, yeah, so um, I, guess, I guess one thing where Sony has a, has a lot of value is we... Um, uh, we have a lot, a lot of fingers in a lot of pies in Sony. We, we, we're kind of involved throughout the entire content acquisition through to uh, editing, through to display products as well. So we have uh, quite a grounding in, um, in what it takes to, to capture an image and then what's required for it to be displayed correctly. And also on, on, the, on the cinema side, we're involved in the commercial cinemas. So the cinemas that are used for your, um, your, your large screens you see in those um, shopping malls and other things. Um, so um, they have a very strict uh, standards already for, for their, their DCI compliance, and we, we know those, those things very well. And we derive a lot of that um, experience into our home cinema products. So we, we um, take our, our certain technologies, like our panels, other things, uh, into those, and they provide um, very cinematic feel for your, uh, for your screening room. Um, but alongside that, um, we, we do design them to have a certain level of brightness to hit the expected levels for a certain screen size at a certain budget. So as you go up the range, there's more brightness, more scope to have bigger, bigger screens, bigger images, um, and to get that bit more contrast as well. So it scales with your budget and it can scale with your, your room design. I sense that one of the things that terrifies installers with the whole performance-based approach is that it just takes so much time you know, how, how straightforward is it now to actually meet those standards, Guy, in design? Um, I mean, you know, there is great education at, at CDA, and not just CDA, from THX, ISF, HA, all of those other companies as well that are doing some fantastic training. But um, meeting the design is always, or, or creating a good design, is that what, you, is that what you're kind of referring to? Um, obviously, that's part of the reason that I, you know, you know, created some software to allow you to do that kind of thing fairly quickly and efficiently. But, but um, I think it's just understanding the, the key principles that you need, you know, light output from a projector, uh, you know, w with screen gain and screen area, and then looking at sort of loudspeaker sensitivity and how far away from those loudspeakers you sit. You know, there, there are just some key fundamental factors that aren't actually that challenging to do. Um, so that was the, the thinking behind the CD designer in the first place? Uh, yeah, kind of um, just knew that I had to do something quick and efficient and, 
getting to the point that um, it was taking me a long time to do it. And uh, on occasions, we didn't win the project that we tried to win because perhaps we did things too thoroughly, you know, and uh, people were saying, well, just take this because it's a cheaper cheaper job. So it was really my way of validating my design and, and, uh, and how I went through it. So that was the thinking. And how helpful is the, the feedback you're getting from installers about that software? Is it useful? Uh, we have almost 4,500 people using it globally. We do something like 5,000 designs globally. We have 70 manufacturers, of which Sony is one of them. So in, in the database, we constantly update the, the database of flat panels and you know projection, front projection system light engine units. So um, ease of use, you know, th three to five minutes, perhaps you'll do a design that may take me a few days to do. And, and some of the more complicated designs could well take a week or more. I think one of the challenges with the, with the software is, is keeping it up to date with equipment because you guys, I mean, your, your product development cycle is pretty rapid. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it can be, yeah, on the consumer side. Um, you can uh, get products um, changing and also the yeah, various other things change with, with image quality as well. I mean, in recent years, we've gone from, I mean, 10 years ago, we were struggling to get some HD images out there. Now we've got 4K fairly, fairly common around the place. And now we're seeing even 8K displays coming on, on the uh, TV side. Um, so yeah, it can, it can, it can, and must almost uh, change quite regularly for our for our consumer devices to keep up. And technology itself in cinema, I mean, it's unrecognisable now from what it was ten years ago, isn't it, Ian? I mean, yeah, completely. Projectors are a totally different beast. Um, as as are some of the front end of the audio side, you know, the quality of processing we're getting and, and manipulation, if you like, to some extent of of the room and how it works. Uh, vested within the actual processing is is extraordinary. So we, we couldn't do what we do now at any price. Um, what about immersive formats? What, what's, what's the impact they've had on consumers and on your business? It's just allowing us to provide better solutions to people. It doesn't affect how many cinemas we do a year or what they spend, sadly. But it does mean they're getting a much better end result. So what are the resistance factors that customers might say, nah, I don't want to go for a cinema because... Again, slightly difficult for us, for us because the type of work that we do, it's, it's either in or it isn't. Um, we do media rooms as well, but we, we're still getting a good proportion of designs coming through that have a dedicated space for the cinema. And they've drawn the seating in, and it's in the wrong place, it doesn't work. But, but, it's, but it's, it's actually meaning that they've made a conscious decision that they want to have that facility in that particular building. I think what I'm trying to say is that I've heard stories about people saying, well, you know, the family space doesn't really get used or the cinema might be down the basement, which we never go to. You know, are there, are there kind of reasons why you think cinema might, could be more popular than it currently is, do you think? I think it, it's always been a great family space, hasn't it? I think if, and if you've got any sort of love for film, and that's fairly easy if you start the kids early, isn't it? They, they love watching, sitting down and watching a, a film. I don't think it's a particularly hard sell. I mean, some people are a bit averse to going down in the basement or to, to have a, a room that's got no natural light, but the drawing's going to come through without the room on it, I think, is, is the answer to that. A lot cheaper to maintain than the swimming pool? A, a lot cheaper. Hell of a lot cheaper. Yeah, we just have to try and get to upgrade more regularly. And media rooms, obviously, really important as well, that sort of shared living space and, and being able to enjoy those kind of spaces. Yeah, I mean, we, we're pretty much the same. We do have an equal share, really, of media rooms and, and theatre rooms, but media rooms are perhaps an easier sell with the family as a whole, whereas historically, you know, it was 
it was perhaps the, the, the male contingency in the house that was pushing for a dedicated theatre room, but media rooms, if they're sympathetically integrated and you know you take some time it's never really been something i've been good at which is looking at how to integrate things nicely and sympathetically and you know it's something that perhaps i wanted to work on on, on my game you know but looking at um when you get something that's integrated right with a nice flat panel display maybe a triggered down screen a nice bright projector the selection of the the correct screen and even a you know like Ian sort of saying you know something where you can watch Netflix and, and broadcast content on your flat panel display and then you can watch 235 content which gives you that real cinematic feel on a 235 or a 240 aspect ratio and you're kind of ticking a lot of boxes you know and people love to, to sort of be in those spaces whereas most young children are watching phones on their iPhones or or you know tablets so to sit in front of a 110 inch screen or you know and watch a movie there's nothing quite like it and it's, it's quite an easy sell actually. It's all about the experience, isn't it, Ian, ultimately? It is, and it's the only way to deliver it. So if you are into film, if it means anything to you, for me, the only way to deliver that is a projection-based system. There isn't a flat panel large enough to do the same job. Yeah, and uh, from, from, a, from, a, from a projector side, there are some considerations. When you move from that dedicated space into a media room or a living room space, um, suddenly the, the size of the projection system become, becomes an issue. You need to be able to have a, a compact system that can be either placed either in an enclosure or in, in a shelf or, uh, on the, or even on the ceiling. So uh, from our side, we brought out some, some more practical things like bringing white chassis for people to be able to put that on a, on a white ceiling, for example, in, in those living room spaces. Um, but also, um, one other thing that's come in in recent years is, um, is laser as a light source. This is quite a new... Uh, revelation in um, in home cinema as well as other other projection areas, uh, and this gives you a number of advantages when you talk about living room space. It's um, it's it's maintenance free. You don't have to change lamps regularly, um, but also it's fast on, fast off. So like with TV, people want to go into their multi-purpose rooms, sit down, watch a movie. You can do that with a laser projector within within a few seconds. You've got brightness on there and consistent brightness, consistent colour with those laser projection systems. So it really gives that kind of ease of use um, and that kind of feel that people are used to are used to using maybe flat panel displays into a, a projection environment and the additional brightness that comes with that as well. Where do you think it's going? What what do you see two or three years down the line that home cinema that's going to be different in cinema? What do you think? Will be the next big thing? Uh, from my perspective, I think laser is, is going to be a fantastic, uh, you know, lily pad that we're going to be on for a little while. So lamp-based LED stuff that's historically struggled for, for light output particularly. So I, I'm keen to see this real sort of, you know, laser take traction. Um, also looking at some of the micro LED stuff that Sony are working on um, is also, I think, apart from the audio challenges, because, you know, you, you can't have a translucent, you know, an acoustically translucent screen. So you've got some centre channel issues about what you do with dialogue and speech intelligibility, but some of the, the big, um, very small pixel pitch um, micro LED stuff that they're working on, I think, is, is eventually in the next sort of five years, once the cost comes down to a much more manageable price point, I can see that as being you know, real traction in the area. Um, and obviously, you know, growing channel counts in the immersive audio format world, you know, at the moment we're DSP-based at about 11 to 13 channels, but, you know, higher, higher channel counts in there as well. What about you, Ian? What do you think? I'm not sure what changes are left in when you've got a chance to do a cinema properly, other than keep applying better equipment as it comes along, because the level of performance we're getting and the light... I don't know, light output for me when we do a cinema 
in an appropriate space is a particular issue. We've actually got more than we need, so we're not chasing that to, by any stretch. Um, keep pushing immersive audio for sure. But I think the challenges are probably more in the, in the sort of spaces that are not dedicated, so we can actually do a better job in a room that's far, far from perfect. And without giving company secrets away? Yeah, uh, so um, from, a, from a Sony point of view, I mean, on the projection side, um, I think people are getting more and more used to the, the HDR they see on panels and they see these peak brightnesses of, of 1,000 nits or, or 500 nits on OLEDs or, or whatever. Uh, and one thing um, Sony are kind of looking to do in the future is, is, is to kind of see where we can get to on that brightness for, for, um, for home cinema and whether we can bring an even more immersive HDR feel into a projection space on a very, very large screen. So really developing that flagship immersive screen experience. Uh, but alongside that, we'll also be focusing on laser, as you say, and uh, making the units more and more compact, so you'll get more bang for your through the sheer size of projector, giving you more flexibility for installation in more, um, yeah, maybe complex environments as well. And also, we do have our um, ultra-short throw projection systems, which, again, is a kind of a unique proposition, gives you its own unique challenges. Uh, for cinema design, but does fulfill a need. I mean, you can, uh, there are some spaces who want large screen experiences, but they can't install it because it's in a rental property or they can't hang something on the wall or design their own room. These ultra short throw projectors can uh, provide a solution for that and give you images at a reasonable price that are bigger than 100 inch, 100 inch TVs you get out there. Um, so um, that, that's on the projector side. And then, uh, as, as Guy mentioned, the micro LED. Uh, is uh, truly, truly stunning, revolutionary display technology that can deliver contrast and resolution up to almost an infinite scale. How, how big how big's your wall? You can just keep going. Um, and um, yeah, that, that's, that's definitely going to be one of our core technologies moving forward. Um, what advice, Guy, would you have for installers about designing the best home cinema they can? Um, I, I guess, you know, knowledge is power, and the more you understand the room, how the room behaves, you know, the correlation between ambient light and front projection and ambient rejecting screens and acoustics and audio and bass management. And so really, you know, how to, how to achieve the very best space is understanding your product. And your product is ultimately, you know, like a car. You don't buy the brakes and the steering wheel and the seat. You buy a car. And that is a, a, a you know a, a group of components that come together to make the car that you buy and that's really the cinema for me it's not you know do i understand that pair of loudspeakers probably but it's it's how they go together the correlation between them all and knowing that the sum of the whole is greater perhaps than the sum of the parts if you can tick a few fundamental you know design criteria boxes do you agree with that ian obviously <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely um I think the problem for us is, is still that fight to have the space that we want it to be. Um, certainly, be, I mean, my level only goes so far, but the, the people within our team, the starting point is that they have all that knowledge. So if your designers are good, they don't need to necessarily go and learn anything greatly new. I mean, Guy knows some of the guys in our team, and they're extraordinarily talented. It's more about the application, I think. Um, what advice would you have for installers fitting Sony product? Um, so for, for Sony, uh, fitting Sony product. Um, okay, so the job's already done. They've already got a Sony. Okay. Um, 
let me think. I think it's just to follow, follow the best principles, I guess. Yeah, as you say, the City of Designer is a great tool, really covers uh, all, the, all the aspects you need. Um, I mean, uh, one thing that we see uh, from some end consumers is there is a lot of confusion about different projectors, for example. I mean, Sony have certain projectors at a certain price level that are 4K native display, uh, native projectors, and then you get something that's half the price that's also 4K, and then people go, oh, okay, brochure spec looks actually better for this 2K one than it looks for my, for my 5K Sony, and really educating people around what is like native 4K, what is, what, what, what is this piece of glass at the front, and why is it so important on this projector and these high-quality lenses we have, um, and making sure people understand what they can achieve when they step up compared to what you compromise with when you step down on certain different technologies. So, um, yeah, I think there's always, there's always more room to, to educate people on the, on the kind of step-up value. That goes back to uh, selling, how you sell the different sort of grades of cinema to the consumer in the first instance, which was quite a tricky process, isn't it, you? Um, it can be, yeah. It's the age-old problem of people not understanding there's a difference between things. Uh, as a company, we put way too much Sonos in and way too many ceiling speakers, which means when people turn their audio on, it works, and they've got left and right, and if they turn around the other way, it's right and left. And um, I think, to some extent, cinemas is a bit easier because people are more easily able to see and appreciate the differences be between things. So if you can get the chance to demonstrate things, I think cinemas actually a slightly easier sell than most other things. And for some reason, I think people are much more critical about the, what they see over what they necessarily hear. Uh, and when they talk about cinemas, they're thinking picture before they're thinking sound anyway, I think, for the most part, which helps Sony greatly. Um, and, and sound is probably in, incorrectly, I think, the second consideration to it. But people are, I think, much more sensitive to the differences between what they see than what they hear. I don't think it's too difficult a job. The biggest problem, of course, is that the quality of products increases all the time, which drives the price down, and the necessity to spend is lessening. So um, we're not getting as much return for the cinemas as we used to. Confident about we're, the future? <laughs> yeah, we are. I mean, we, we're lucky. We get to do probably, I don't know, six to eight cinemas a year, of, and, and they're, generally speaking, all of, of a good standard. Um, and the fact that we're seeing them on most designs as they come through, it has to be taken as a positive. Uh, people talk about film a great deal more, I think, than they used to. So, yeah, you know, we'll look forward to putting a cinema into most of those jobs, and we will, every opportunity, do our best to make sure they go into that standard. Are you a positive guy about the future? Apart from Crystal Palace's prospects next season? Stop it. No need, no need for that. Um, you know, I am. I just think, you know, we're not really in that... Um, kind of Sonos, Amazon Alexa kind of, uh, you know, Siri world. We, we, as a company, as an integration company, that's kind of not really where we, we reside. So the last bastion of really good custom install is either lighting, BMS, you know, putting in a really nice theatre. There's still some engineering challenges. There's still some um, margin. There's still some, you know the romance of it all it's still an exciting thing all the engineers like going to do it you know nobody wants to go and set up a you know a router do they but everybody likes calibrating a projector so there is a little bit where as a company as a whole when we do get a, a theater we're, we've all got a little bit of a buzz about us you know we all like it so 
yeah, we're excited every time we get to look at one. Yeah, and I, I, I well, obviously, I'm very, very uh, positive about the future. But I think uh, that that is the key. I mean, if if you're wanting to, to to sell these projectors, people really need to see it. You know, they need to experience it. They need to uh, go into the the dealers' demo rooms or in integrators' uh, like case case study environments and um and really feel it. I mean, if you if you go in and see uh, like the Bohemian Rhapsody in 4K HDR with uh, the Live Aid scene, I think anyone would buy anything if you just show them that one clip. You know. Uh, I certainly would, for sure. Uh, and it's, uh, yeah, I think it is about the emotional aspects of what cinema bring. Yeah, it's not just about how many lumens or how good your contrast ratio. It's that feeling you get from sitting down actually watching some great content. So, um, yeah, very, very positive about the future for cinema. Okay. One final question then, Ian. What's your demo of choice at the moment? Uh, probably A Quiet Place. Guy, what would you go for? Uh, I've got a few, but some of the kind of content that I go back to is one of the first Transformers movies, which I tend to use the bit in the desert where the scorpion kind of thing comes out. Or, uh, And obviously, I think the new uh, Queen movie, there's uh, Radio Gargars in there. I think we use that and maybe a little bit of uh, some others. Yeah, Hans Zimmer as well. There's a great concert in HDR. Um, there's just some great pieces in that. I think the Da Vinci Code scene. I mean, for audio as well, it's just um, absolutely blows your mind. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks, guys. We're going to take a quick break and then open up to questions on the floor. At Meridian Audio, we deliver extraordinary experiences. We create moments that bring people together, forge shared connections and make unforgettable memories. Don't just take our word for it. Experience audio as it's meant to sound. With a visit to our Cambridgeshire HQ, it's the home of high-res audio. Okay, so um, got a few installers here. Who's got a question? Uh, Michael Blake here from Bespoke Installations in uh, sunny Devon, uh, where the streets are paved with used fish and chip wrappers. Um, I've got a question. It's mainly really for Guy and Ian, uh, who run integration companies. Um, and would you say that it is vital to offer a demonstration facility if you're going to sell home cinema as a concept. In the same way as you wouldn't try to sell um, Teslas or Polestar cars or Aston Martins from a booklet unless you could sit your customer into a car and let him put the foot down. Um, we've never, as a company, we've never invested in our own demo facility ever. And I think probably on occasions that's cost us, if I'm really honest. Because I do believe that the best way to do that is to take somebody, sit them down, play some of their content. They leave that place and, you know, rightly, it often just blows you away. So, mm. you know, it's something that perhaps looking back over how, our time, I've often thought, should we have done it? I hear about these people doing dem facilities. and, But, you know, we've used other, you know, third-party uh, distributors like AWE, for instance, that have some of the most amazing dem facilities. Um, you know, you can take them there. And it's almost without sounding cheap, like they've had the expense of putting it together and, and updating the kit, but we're sort of, does that sound thing? That's probably about right. Well, but, it's, but exa it's exactly what I was going to really sort of to, to, to suggest if, if, you know, is, is that if, if there's one thing anyone listening to this podcast could take away and they don't have a demonstration facility is, is to use the relationship you have with your distributor, whoever that may be, but particularly with AWE, recently I went to one of their events and it was, it, you know, a couple of different rooms, different systems, and I thought it was it was excellent. And it doesn't need to cost you as a business owner 
tens or even hundreds of thousands of pounds to be able to demonstrate to your customer something which they really need to see, feel, smell and touch before they part with their cash. And it was interesting to hear you both talk about how uh, perhaps people's money is being spent more widely across the entire smart home than just a media room. And my second question to you both really was, um, do you feel that with the introduction of smart doorbells and very easily accessible multi-room audio and voice control technology has diluted the budget for a dedicated media room? Would you say, Ian? No, I don't think it has. Um, we are much more about managing the building and how the building functions, I guess, than we probably are sometimes about cinemas. The, the truth is that I think a lot of that depends on where you sit in the marketplace. If you're sitting where, uh, let's say, your work is predominantly in SW3, it's a very different place to be than it is somewhere else, and the, and the requirements and demands of the client are entirely different. Their view on security will be entirely different. Their view on how the system should work. E every part of it's very different. So I actually, I think it's a really tricky one to ask because I think it entirely depends upon the type of clients that you have. So we, we don't see many, um, many installations where we're dealing directly with the client, where the client lives a relatively normal lifestyle. So it's quite a hard one to answer in the sense that a lot of clients, we don't even know who they are. Uh, we wouldn't necessarily be involved in certain levels of their security, we talk about doorbells and so on, that if they would not be remotely interested whether it rings a phone or not, but if it did ring a phone, it wouldn't be theirs. You know? So I think a lot, it's really down to where you sit in the marketplace. Hi, uh, Stuart Tickle of AWE. Uh, probably for Guy, although I'm interested in everybody's opinion here. Um, room first, which has been said by um, Ian and yourself there, completely agree with, and there are engineering principles to which a cinema can be designed to. Related to CD rewards, should a dedicated home cinema space always meet the principles set out in the CD designer? Uh, I am the judge uh, of the uh, <laughs> CD awards. So I, I do the uh, American and Asian awards and the global awards. So, and that's something that comes up all the time, you know. Uh, and we're sort of, so the questioning is now, if you deviated from these the criteria, why did you do that? And if somebody said to me, look, you know, I, I couldn't get these speakers in this polar array because of the air conditioning duct that was already part of this or the ceiling height was... As long as they're explaining to me why they didn't, then I'm pretty good with that. that that's fine. No job. You know, I can't teleport myself in and out of a room, so there's always going to be a door. You know, there's always going to be a compromise, no matter how hard you try. So for me, if you can stay to just the basic principles, it's just like lots of little things. I don't know if anybody's ever been into a room. You just think... It sounds nice in here. I don't know why. It just sounds and feels good. And there are some rooms that you've been in and you've seen and you've heard that you can't really put your finger on it. But more often than not, it's just a series of small incremental changes, you know, or little victories that make the overall room look and sound good. So do you need to always adhere to those? Not really. I just think it would be... Um, it would be unreasonable to think that there is such a room as the perfect room. There isn't. But it's really in that sort of essay question, you would say, I couldn't do that because of X. And the minute as a judge I read that, I think, okay, that's fair enough. He's shown that he understood the problem. He couldn't address it, but they did do something else. So um, I'm, I'm good with that. I actually think it's quite a refreshing answer. It's not the one I expected you to give. <laughs> I thought you were going to say, no, it's got to be another. <laughs> uh, it's absolutely the correct answer to give, I think. 
Um, you cannot do a room without a degree of compromise. And you cannot at all times meet every criteria that you know is what is required to, to live the, the perfect solution. It's just, it's impractical and it just doesn't exist. So, yeah, for me, rooms are always compromises. But if you know, if you know what the compromises have to be and you're smart enough in order to knowledge to know that if you can't do this you can do this and it's an acceptable route around that yeah. then uh, yeah I'm, I'm completely with guy you don't you shouldn't be holding those principles up as if i don't obtain it i've failed because in doing so i think you're failing yourself because you're, you're delivering a space to a client ultimately if you know you're delivering as good a level of performance as that space allowed you've met their budget and they've got a smile on their face then you've done you've done the right job <laughs> Thank you to Guy, Ian and Chris for sharing your insights with us. Thank you also to pod partners Sony and to AWE for making this live event possible. You can find The Integrated Home on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and on-demand platforms everywhere. We're on Twitter at IntHomePod and on Instagram and Facebook at IntegratedHomePod. This episode of The Integrated Home is a Wildwood and Alfie Media production. The Integrated Home supports Together for Cinema. Together for Cinema is an AV industry movement that designs and installs cinema rooms in children's hospices across the UK. So far, thanks to the huge generosity of manufacturers, distributors and integrators freely giving of their time, products and expertise, we've created 21 dedicated cinemas. In these special places, children, their families, staff and volunteers are now enjoying fantastic movie experiences together. We want to build more rooms in more hospices for more children. To do that, we need your help. Visit togetherforcinema.co.uk and find out how you can be involved to help make short lives that little bit better.